that we can rest in the promise of your rule and your reign for eternity. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word that God, by grace, through faith, that we would live out of the reality of what is in the future. That God, we look forward to that reign, the reign that not only is in the present, but the reign that will be established forever. God, I pray today as we look at your word that we would respond by faith. I pray, God, that we would be changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. What we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be finishing off what we started last time with Noah, and we're going to be moving into verse 8, into verse 10, when we look at the life of Abraham. And I've entitled the message this morning, Believing in the Unseen. Believing in the Unseen, Noah and Abraham. Just to bring us back to where we were leaving off last time, we looked at Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. When we started last time, we were looking at an outline basically that dealt with the justifying faith we see take place with Noah. And we've been talking about the reality that the author of Hebrews is writing to people that are tempted to go back to the old way. They're tempted to go back to the shadow and completely miss the substance. And so far as we've been going on for several months, we've seen that Jesus is supreme. He is the true high priest, the ultimate high priest. And, and how in the world would you go back to a system that, that ultimately embraced a legalism, that embraced a self-righteousness, and, and he goes back to the very beginning. He goes back to the patriarchs. He goes back to creation. And he begins to establish the reality that from the beginning all the way to the present, the only way that we're justified is never by our works, but it's only by grace through faith in Christ. And we see not only Enoch, we see Noah. And it mentions here that he was justified by faith. He's an heir. He trusted in the promises of God. We saw that he had an obedient faith. His obedience is dramatic. And, and we see this obedience in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 6. After all of the instructions that God gave him of all that he was to do, it simply says in verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. But what I want to pick up with you this morning as we continue, I want us to look at the fact that there was an enduring faith when we look at Noah, an enduring faith. When we think about this enduring faith, I want us to consider the fact that it says in Hebrews eleven seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God, concerning events is yet unseen. In reverent fear, again, establishing the heartbeat behind his obedience, it's interesting because faith is seen in this reverence, in this humility, 
in this submission to God. It's a, if you find someone who has a reverent fear of God, you can take it to the bank, it's gonna translate into obedience. Because a life of disobedience is not going to be reverent. It's not gonna have the heart of humility that leads to obedience. In reverent fear, constructed an ark. And that phrase right there, constructed an ark, it sounds pretty simple. If I say, what did you do this weekend? Well, I constructed this. Well, it says in Genesis 6-3, many scholars have felt that rather than defining the time that men were going to live, that the 120 years might actually be defining the time that it took Noah to construct the ark. Constructing the ark, 120 years. And even if that is not what Genesis 6-3 is relating to, it took him numerous years to construct the ark. And I want us to think about something. Of all the things we see about Noah's faith, the fact that he was justified by faith, the fact that he had an obedient faith, it definitely demonstrates and is an example to us of enduring faith. And I tell you, what a remarkable encouragement to the people that the author is writing to because what are they tempted to do? They're tempted to abandon. They're tempted to not endure. And the message of Hebrews, amongst many messages, is a message of endurance. It's a message of faithful perseverance. To persevere in the midst of trial, Noah persevered and trusted God. He endured. He endured in the midst of people that thought he was absolutely crazy. I read to you last time, but in Matthew chapter 24, it says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. He was enduring, and as we'll see in a moment, he was a messenger. He was a herald of righteousness. He was attesting to the people, not only the holiness and the goodness of God, but that message in a climate of people that were depraved and wicked and living ungodly. The very, remember, isn't it amazing the patience of God? We look at Enoch and we look at his life and he was crying out to the people and warning them of the judgment of God. And then Enoch has a son named Methuselah who lives 969 years and his name represents the judgment of God. Isn't it amazing? The patience of God that was appealing to the people. And Noah, even as he preaches this 120 years as he constructed the ark, I mean, it's pretty amazing to think about the construction site that he would have been working on. I heard one guy say, you know, I mean, what would have been the typical day? Does he show up and preach for a little bit, preach for an hour before he starts constructing? attesting to the goodness and the holiness of God and in his preaching of righteousness, what is that going to do? It's going to be an appeal that God is going to judge and they better heed the warning. And I tell you what, if you get around ministers, one thing that you often find when I go to a, a pastor retreat or a conference, you get around a bunch of ministers and one way that ministers are often discouraged is when people are not responding to what they are preaching. They get discouraged. I get discouraged sometimes. And think about it, but you know what? Noah would be like, come on, you little wimp, keep going. <laughs> 120 years, 120 years of enduring and no converts, none. 
Man, I don't know what the SBC would have done then with that kind of statistical report. We better abandon shop and start another denomination. You see, this was in God's hands, in God's sovereignty. And what did he do? He continued to trust God. And again, lest we exalt Noah, you know the story later on. Noah, the Bible is extremely transparent and honest and real. And it shows Noah had his own flaws. Noah was a man that dealt with his flesh just like we do. But what do we see? We see a man that through the grace of God, God's grace, I love this because so many people have a view of the Bible where the Old Testament is a book of nothing but this vindictive God. And then we get into a message of grace in the New Testament. Well, I got news for you. It's grace from beginning to end. Because apart from the grace of God, there wouldn't have been Noah and the ark. Apart from the grace of God, there wouldn't have been a mark put on Cain. Apart from the grace of God, there wouldn't have been a man out of Ur of the Chaldees who lived amongst pagans, who had a dad who was a pagan, who was called by God. You see, God is a God who works graciously, and the whole scripture is pointing to the ultimate gracious act of God through the redemption of Jesus Christ. And so here we are, we see an enduring faith. We could spend a lot of time on this. We're gonna keep moving. We also see a proclaiming faith. A proclaiming faith. It's interesting because it speaks about his faith in a proclaiming way. Uh, Remember we were talking about it is so important, and I alluded to that statement, and and I, I love the statement, but we can't forget the second part. You know, people say, you know, go out as you leave today, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words, and I understand the sentiment. It's a beautiful example of of, of, of displaying the grace of Christ. But let us not forget that we can't fully preach the gospel unless we use words. And so there needs to be not only a proclamation in our life, right? We can't just speak words with a, a life that doesn't reflect the goodness in the grace of Christ, but there also has to be a proclamation in our words. And you see that with Noah. It mentions actually here that he was a right, verse nine, eight and nine, he was a righteous man, He was blameless in his generation. And then it mentions something very similar to what we just saw with Enoch. He walked with God. He walked with God. And what a display. It was a man, again, I think it's an example of what Paul says and what James compliments. When Paul says we're justified by faith, James isn't contradicting Paul. James is saying when a man is justified vertically, it will always be demonstrated and displayed horizontally. And so we're we're, we're justified in our deeds, not that it's meritorious, not that it earns our way to God, but we're displayed as vindicated by God, as commended by God. Why? By the gracious way that that overflows within our dealings with others. And that's what you see Noah did. And all this endurance, he was a righteous man, he was blameless, he walked with God, but he was also not only proclaiming in his life, he was proclaiming in his speech. He was proclaiming in his speech, and we see some hints of this. It's interesting because I don't want to get into the debate of 1 Peter 3.20, but there's a passage there that it mentions Noah. It's a passage I personally believe. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. We looked at that a long time ago. I take the view that Augustine had, and the view is this, that Christ was proclaiming through Noah as a herald of righteousness in his day. That Noah was a proclaimer, Christ was proclaiming through him, and those who were disobedient to his message were now spirits in prison because they didn't heed the message. Another passage that illustrates this is in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It refers to Noah as a herald of righteousness. It says in verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. A herald, he, he is a proclaimer. He proclaims salvation. He proclaims the character of God. What do we learn from that? I think one thing we've got to be reminded of today is by the grace of God, a life of faith will not only endure, but a life of faith will proclaim. It'll proclaim. It's going to look different in different people's lives. I wonder what sphere of influence God has given you. I wonder what kind of contacts you have with the world that is ungodly. I, we, we live in a society, you guys, that a lot of people are going to sign up when it comes to the religious card, but a lot of people in our community don't understand the gospel. They're very good on the surface, but they don't understand redemption in Christ. And so one of the ways that we're called as a church family to proclaim the gospel is to seek wisdom and discernment in our lives as to how we can speak the truth of God's word and proclaim our faith. And so a life of faith is not just going to be this inward aspect where you have this pious person in a monastery that is over in the middle of nowhere who reads their Bible and walks by faith. No, faith is gonna be seen in the real world. And it's gonna be seen not only in a display in our life, but it's gonna be seen in a proclamation. So one of the things you can do this morning, often when I share that, people go, oh my goodness, I feel guilty. I haven't shared my faith in a week or a month or a year. Why don't you pray about it with me? And why don't you pray and say, God, if this proclamation is something that is seen by so many people who walk by faith, would you, by your grace, give me not only the ability to share with others, but would you help me to look for the opportunity? So this morning, rather than be condemned in it, be encouraged that that's the grace of God at work within our hearts. So we see all of these displays in Noah, and it just builds and builds and builds. We see this justifying, obedient, enduring, proclaiming faith. But now we move in to the next part. Let's read verse 8 down to verse 10 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I love this because immediately we see 
three aspects of what the passage presents here, I think, that are the simplest way to break it down. The first part that we see is his call. His call. And it's interesting because his call, if, if you were to look at all the passages, I'm going to show you some, but it's a fascinating study when you look at the call of Abram. We see some passages that illuminate what took place, but we see it was a process. And, and, and you could go back to even Genesis 11, verse, the very last verses that demonstrate this. You could look at several passages, but the one that we really traditionally look at to represent this is in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The call of Abram. Notice uh, at the very beginning, um, and then it says in verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. When we look at this passage, one of the things that it might be helpful to you is to just get an idea of the journey. And you could look this up. What was the journey that Abram took from Ur all the way over there by Iraq all the way to the promised land? And what did that look like? Uh, I know you love charts. I'm just kidding. But uh, there's a chart that will really make you dizzy. And, and, and if you go to the uh, far right of the screen, you're down there by Ur, and at the top, you're looking at Haran, and you're going all the way back down by the Mediterranean, all the way down into the land of Canaan. And then you see Egypt over there to your left. I mean, that's a long process. But I wanted to say that to you because when we start by looking at the call, we're talking about something drastic here. We're dealing with something very drastic. When we think about all that happened, I want to read you some passages, and you can look with them you can look at them with me on the screen because we're going to go quick. Joshua 24.3, Then I took your father Abraham and beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Look at how Nehemiah, and this is central to what God has done historically. Nehemiah mentions, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. That's hard to say. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. I mean, th this is a historical story that's brought up throughout the Bible in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, which many people believe was initially in Genesis 11. And that this was a process of this call and that the author of Hebrews doesn't bring out the entire process, but brings out the ultimate reality that he went from Ur and he went to where God had called him to go. And he says here, before we lived in Haran, and then it says, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. 
I love this. And it says, then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. You see, we see his call. Ur, when you think about the society, I was reading about some of the archaeology. One of the fascinating uh, studies, uh, you know, I heard one professor tell me one time, he said, anytime... um, Archaeology disagrees with the Bible, just wait. <laughs> because there's archaeologists are always saying, oops, because they make declarations that later are uncovered, and it just speaks of the wisdom of God. So you can't get thrown by things like that. But one of the things they've discovered with Ur and some of these ancient civilizations is the advancement and just the remarkable way that these people were progressed in the way that they dealt with society. And it shocks people. It really does seem to, so often, you know, in the way that naturalistic man thinks about the evolutionary process and how they frame people to be ignorant and now people that are brilliant. And we go back into the very first pages of society in Genesis and we see a society that wasn't like way back, back behind their time. They were very brilliant because they were created in the image of God and God gave them insight. And the people of Ur were very, very advanced. G. Campbell Morgan spoke about a, a like a math problem or some type of uh, they found in a, in, a, in a dig where they literally were taking it to students in an Ivy League school to try to figure it out. It was literally something they found. It, it illustrates the advancements of Ur. And here's a man who is leaving a society that was very well established, the call of Abram. But then what does it say? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This inheritance he was going to receive was revealed to him in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. If you study the call of Abram, you see Genesis 12, Genesis 15, 21, 22. All these passages continue to reconfirm the promises that God gave him in his calling. And what what he's showing us here, notice, the call was the first thing. God gave him a call. The second part of this, though, what do we see? We see not only his call, we see his faith. And notice what it says there in the very first three words of verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, I want you to think about faith for a second because this is a man that's illustrating the life of faith. And I want us to observe some aspects of faith that we see here. One thing I want you to think about is his faith preceded his obedience. His faith preceded his obedience. You remember when we were looking at James where James is showing the futility where basically faith without works is dead. And he's demonstrating that true faith is going to result in obedience. You could actually see that in John 3.36, where he speaks about the contrast between those who believe and those who do not obey. Jesus always brought obedience to his word and connected it with faith, belief. And you see that here, by faith, Abraham obeyed, true faith obeys. 
So we, we have to remember that, that, that there's that building, you know, where we talked about you've got, a gr- you've got knowledge. Faith requires three things is what a lot of people suggest. You've got knowledge, then you have assent or agreement, but then following up those first two pillars that are absolutely instrumental, you have to have the third one, which is trust and dependence. And trust and dependence is shown in obedience. But look back at verse 1 and 2. I'll tell you, when, when we looked at Hebrews 11, 1, I didn't want to jump the gun too quick and go looking at Noah and Abraham, but isn't it the example of what he's saying here? What does he say in verse 1? Now, faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And what did we look at? We talked about the reality that this is more objective than subjective. And the idea is now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what do we see in the life of Abraham? He looked into the future, what the human eye could not see. And by grace through faith, those promises God gave him as he trusted in the character and the promises of God, he lived out of faith in the unseen and brought it into the present. We've got to keep Hebrews 11.1 in our mind. You know, we we see this, Noah and Abraham. Remember verse 6, how it's clearly stated, and without faith, faith, it is impossible to please him. I want to read that again to you. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. And what do we see? We see a man in Noah. We see a man in Abraham. Yesterday, I was uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I was in a hotel Friday night, and, and I was going to the SEC championship. Save your comments to after the service. And, uh, and, and I, was, uh, I was in a hotel with one of my good buddies from, from elementary school. All We've been friends since we were in sixth grade. We've been uh, Georgia fans that long. It's been a long journey. <laughs> and uh, we, we went to Atlanta, and uh, so he gets up. He can't sleep, so he wakes up at like 4 in the morning. I thankfully can still sleep. And so I did not get up with him at 4 in the morning, thankfully. And so I was asleep. Well, he gets up, and he's doing all kinds of things, and he's working, and he's exercising, and I'm not even thinking about that. Well, I get up. So he, I, he comes back to the room, and he's like, man, I'm hungry. I was like, yeah, would you get me something while you go get something? So he's like, I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know, I want coffee. I just want coffee when I wake up. And uh, you know how it is. Have you ever been in a hotel where you look really rough, but you feel like you got the rough card because you're in a hotel and other people look rough going to the lobby to get coffee? I looked rough. And, uh, but I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It doesn't matter. So, okay, so I'm walking out of the room. And, okay, I don't, this may not, I don't know why I'm, I'm strange. There's these latches on doors. And there's like a convenience latch that's for you if you forget. I always use it like if I'm checking out and I know I'm going to forget something. So I always latch the, you know, I'll keep that thing where the door is going to pop and stay open. So I use that. And, but there's also a security latch. And the security latch has that little contraption that sticks out about three inches off the door towards your room. And you can move that little bitty thing, swivel, 
and it keeps people from getting in your room and stealing your wallet while you're asleep, right? Well, I was leaving the room, and I've never done this before. I looked at it, and I thought, wait a minute. I wonder if the security lats could hold the door open. And I looked at it, and I, I was sort of looking at it, and I was like, that's weird, and I messed with it. And I was like, eh, it doesn't work there. And I so I left, and I went down and I got my coffee. Well, then I come back up, and I get to the room, and... Uh, put my key thing on the door and I open up and I open the door and it won't let me in because I used the wrong latch. And I basically used the security latch from the inside and now I can't get in. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. I'm like, how in the world do you get in a room where you lock? I'm thinking, this is, this is dumb. What am I doing? So I go to the lobby. And I'm like, hey, uh, this lady's looking at me, and I'm like, hey, uh, you know that, uh, that door thing? I was like, and I had to explain why it was not working right. You know, I was like, well, I messed with it, and she's looking at me all weird. She just had this look like she was looking at me like, you're crazy. And I looked at her, and she goes, and then she pulled out this, this metal thing, and it's this long piece that had like a hook on it. And, and she's like, hang on. And I'm like, hey, can I, can I use that? And she's like, hang on, hang on. And she calls, she's like, she's calling security, calling uh, the maintenance guy. And he won't answer. And he's not there. And I'm like, can I use it? And she's like, all right, she gives it to me. So I go back up to the room, and now I'm in the hallway. And I'm like thinking, okay, how in the world are you supposed to do this? <laughs> so like, I don't know if you're imagining what it is, but I'm like trying to, well, then I'm even getting, I'm trying to get my pinky through the door to try to get in there. And I'm thinking someone's going to think I'm breaking into someone's room <laughs> They're in the hallway because I'm doing all this stuff. Well, I go back down and it doesn't work. She's like, the guy, the maintenance guy's coming up. He's already up there. I was in the lobby. So I went back up and I looked at him and I felt better at first because he was like, he had done it before. And I thought, well, a bunch of people probably do this. And I said, how many people has this ever happened to? And he said, you're the second. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, it hit me, and I, I remember growing up, I used to think my dad could get sermon illustrations out of a tube of toothpaste, but I'm, I'm sort of like learning how that happens, and it hit me. I was thinking, you know, when, when you look at, if you use something in, in a way that it wasn't designed, it never works. It never works, and I want you to think about something this morning. I know that that's a, it's a bad analogy in that statement, but I want you to think of something. How many possibly are here this morning, and if you're just honest about your Christian experience, your Christian journey, and where you are with God in the moment right now, you're weary, you're overwhelmed, and you're discouraged. You ever been there before? Man, I've been there before. But I got news for you. If you're walking in unbelief, don't be surprised. When you're living not according to the design that God's called you to live, it will always lead to futility and frustration. And I get the sense sometimes that we've gotten so good at the externals. We know the way to go about how do you live a Christian life without faith? Well, I'll tell you how many people attempt to do it. They go to church, 
They're involved in the things of God. They're involved in religious activities. They've got a study Bible. They're in a Bible study. They listen to Christian music. They're a part of all of the frills and all of the externals. But when it comes to the situations of their life, when it comes to how they deal with circumstances, from the smallest to the greatest, from the cancer diagnosis all the way down to a neighbor who gets on your nerves. Their response to the promise and the command of God is not belief. It's indifference and unbelief, and they wonder why they're discouraged. We look at this, and I pray that we would see this is not the exceptional Christian life. This is the normal Christian life. This is the life not of Superman Christian. This is the life enabled by the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. And it begins with trusting God according to his character and according to his promise. We see his calling, we see his faith, we see his obedience. And, and, and I pray you would see that, that this is remarkable because here's a man that grew up in a pagan family and God, just as Noah found God's grace, it doesn't say it specifically of Abraham, but we know for certain Abraham found the grace of God. The grace of God was revealed to this man. And now you've got this picture of, of a remarkable, look at some of the things that we see about this faith-filled obedience work out that really combines point two and point three. We see his call, we see his faith, we see his obedience, but what are some aspects of his faithful obedience? One, notice verse eight, he trusted God there would be an inheritance. <laughs> Think about it. God told him there would be an inheritance. God promised in Genesis 12, one through four, that there would be an inheritance. And what happens? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He had to believe there was an inheritance. This morning, you may be thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because God's not calling me out of Scottsboro to go to Zambia. God's not calling me out of Scottsboro. I want you to understand something. Please don't miss this. Understand what are the promises God gives you in his word? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe him this morning? Let me ask you a question. What are you dealing with that is occupying your mind when it comes to anxiety and worry more than any other thing right now? What are you dealing with? What would fit the category? And let me ask you something. Do you believe the promises of God relate to that specific issue? because it's only gonna be proportional to the greatest issue you're facing in your life. You ever notice that? I, I can tell you like, hey, I'm dealing with this, I'm worried about this, and I can say, it doesn't work like, well, I'm really worried about this, but I'm so thankful I'm trusting God fully in all these other areas of my life. It doesn't work like that. God puts us in laboratories where he reveals the rub. He reveals where the heart is struggling to trust in the character and the promises of God. And by his grace, through his word, through his kindness, he reproves 
and he shows us where we're not trusting him and where we're not depending on him and where we're not walking in obedience to his promise. And we look at the life of Abraham and we're reminded by God's grace, he trusted God there would be an inheritance. He didn't say, you know what? I just don't believe there's gonna be an inheritance. So I really don't know how to get past that. He believed there was an inheritance. But another thing that we see here, he left the familiar. He left the familiar. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. I remember years ago when the church first started back in like 2007, I think we were like 2008, one of the first books that I preached through was the book of Amos. And, uh, and, and I remember thinking about Amos, who was a, he was a, he, he worked with sycamore figs, if I remember correctly. He was a herder. I wasn't planning on saying it. It just came to my mind. He was a herder. He wasn't a prophet. And God called him out of that which was familiar and said, Amos, go. And now Amos is like left with this predicament. Do I trust God or do I look at my life and say, no, Lord, that doesn't make sense. I'm not leaving. This is what I do. It's sort of like imagine right now in your career, some of y'all have got about 10 years left, five years left, three years left, 20 years left, 40 years left, 60 years left. <laughs> and what if, what if God calls you right now? Drop it. Drop it all. What about my 401k? What about my pension? I need one more year in ER to get some really good benefits. Drop it. He left the familiar. He left the familiar. He trusted God there'd be an inheritance. He left the familiar, but it just keeps getting better. He, he, he left, not only left the familiar, he didn't know where he was going. I remember, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I think in, in, in your development as a Christian, we struggle with this because I remember kids would be like, you know, Lord, I, I, like elementary kids, junior high kids in youth group, they would say, I, I want to follow the Lord. I'm just scared he's going to call me to Africa. You ever heard that before? Well, in all practical purposes, whatever this would have meant to us saying God called me to Africa, he, God called him to Africa. He said, Abraham, you go where I'm going to call you to go. Where, Lord? You'll, I'll tell you later. You know, how many of you uh, are notorious uh, how much longer in the car? I've got somebody, I don't see him in here. Oh, there he is. Will's over there. What's up, buddy? You're way over there today. Will will flat out ask you where, when we're going to get there. Let me tell you something. He set the world record. He can ask every 18 seconds. And sometimes I'll just be like, buddy, I'll tell you when we get there. <laughs> you ever done that before? Isn't it interesting that uh, that's a scary proposition? And if we study this very slowly and methodically, we find that there was a process. And even in the process, I think you see the patience of God dealing with Abraham. He was leading him along. Aren't you thankful that even in lives that are exemplary, lives of faith, we see things that are not exemplary in these people's lives? And it reminds us of the grace of God. And by the grace of God, I think what you see in Noah is he wasn't perfect for sure, but he was predictable. But there were areas that he blew it in. Are there areas you blow it in? Absolutely. 
but by the grace of God. Were there areas that Abraham blew it? Absolutely. But God was working and shaping and changing his heart and moving him along. You know, this morning, I don't know where you're at in your life as a Christian, but I want you to be encouraged. God, the only hope that you have of finishing this race with perseverance and endurance is God sustaining sovereign love. The only hope that you have to continue on this course is that God is faithful to keep his promise to conform you into the image of his son and by his grace. I don't know about you, but I come to a passage like this and I see there's areas where I've grown in my life, but I also see all the stuff. I also see all the hiccups. I also see all the times I've not trusted, but I, and I, but I find myself still here and still praying that God would continue to grow my life of faith. And isn't that his faithfulness? Abraham was a man who was in a process of walking with God. He was a man walking by faith. And even through the stuff, God was working. God was faithful. Abraham was learning. Abraham was walking. You know, you keep going here. And uh, another aspect of this is that it speaks about the fact that he was a foreigner. He was a foreigner. I was reading one commentary and it says that, it talks about he was dwelling in tents. It says dwelling in tents is the way of travelers and nomads, Bedouins. Even in Abraham's times, tents were not considered permanent residences. Not only Abraham, but also his son and grandson, Isaac and Jacob, lived out their lives in tents. Now listen to this. They were in the land God had promised, but they did not settle down in it. Those great patriarchs, in fact, would never possess the land except by faith. It would come later that they would possess it. The land was in sight, but not in hand. Near as it was, the land was still only a promise. Abraham did not build any houses or cities. He lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. And this ministered to me. It keeps going. As a transient in the land, he had to be patient because the land was promised to him. Patience must have been all the harder. He may have needed patience in Haran too, but he never expected to possess Haran. It was never promised. All the rest of his life, however, Abraham walked up and down the land God had promised him, yet never owned more than a small plot in which to bury Sarah. It was promised but never possessed. Abraham's faith required a great deal of patience in order to live without grumbling as an alien in his own land. Wow. You see, all of this relates because he was a, I love this, Spurgeon talks about the fact that he kept company, not of this world, but those who had received the promise also. I love that. You know, think about that. You know, it talks about uh, these tents, Isaac and Jacob. They were also receivers of the promise. Isn't it interesting? Like here we are gathered this morning. We come together to exalt and worship God. And as we come together, we're reminded that we're the people of God. We're a called out community. And all of a sudden we remind each other that we are fellow heirs of the same promise. And what are we seeking to do through the encouragement and the edification of God's word is we're looking at each other and saying, church, 
We are the called out of God. Let us embrace the promise and let us learn from those who've come before us and let us walk by faith even in those things that we cannot see. Amen. You see, he, he was dwelling in tents. I think it does. Yeah, you could say, well, that's just because nomads dwelt in tents. But it relates here not only in the fact that he was a Bedouin, but I think it relates to the temporary nature of the way that he looked at this world. And it says in the next passage here, he looked forward to the ultimate blessing. It says here he looked forward to the ultimate city. Look at this with me. In, in Hebrews verse. 10 of chapter 11. This is phenomenal. He says in verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He, and in this, I was fascinated by this. I went down a rabbit trail of looking and looking and looking and looking and looking and thinking, wait a minute, where do we see that God revealed to Abraham about this specific city. And, and the only thing that I really could come up with was, you know, he spoke about the, the, the reality that in his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He knew that there was something greater, something more, something God would do. And we don't know exactly, but just like Enoch, just like Abel, where there's so many things we can't figure out, we know that God revealed this fact here in Hebrews 11, verse 10, and we can take it to the bank that however he understood it, Abraham was aware of a city that only God could establish. And he didn't live for the city of man. He lived for the city of God. He looked towards city. It, it was hitting me as I was chewing on this. You know, if we're going to walk in faith, it is going to go in complete contrast to our human rationale. Do you realize that today? If you're going to walk by faith, it's going to go contrary to human sight. And it's always, it's always going to involve looking forward. I've told you this so many times. I never was a point guard. I, I've never been a good point guard. I was a good, I always thought I was a point guard in church league ball. But I wasn't a good point guard. I just, I wasn't a great ball handler. And, and I would always get in trouble because I'd look down at the ball. And coaches were always telling me, get your, get your head up, man. Look up. You can't see the court. You can't see the floor. Look up. Let me ask you something this morning. Is one of the biggest problems in your Christian experience right now, you won't get your head up? Are you so overwhelmed right now? I'm overwhelmed by the culture. I'm overwhelmed by the pandemic. I'm overwhelmed by, by this. I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm overwhelmed by that. Look up. When you look up, what are you looking towards? The promises that are yet to come that are yes in Jesus Christ changes the way you live now. You see, when you look down and you don't look forward, you look down, you're going to be known for being a person of the temporary. You're going to be known as a person of unbelief. You're going to be known as a person who simply changes and adapts to the environment they're in at the moment. If you go through a good day, you're happy. If the dogs would have won last night, I'd have been really happy. 
But think with me, I'm not being facetious or joking, I'm serious. If you live that way, it always goes like this based on what you're going through when you're going through it. But if you're looking forward, you now have perspective in the midst of the circumstance. If you're looking forward, you now have hope in the midst of the stuff of life. You now have perspective in the midst of heartache. You now have perspective in the midst of relational difficulty. You now have an anchor of the soul. And who's our anchor of the soul? The great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at this, there's so much here. There's so much here. So much of the word of God deals with looking forward, looking forward. Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He has purposes for us. Promises yet unfulfilled. First Peter 1, writing to a church who's going through chaos. What does he say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, just as Abraham was looking for a greater inheritance, we're called to look for a greater inheritance as well. I'm telling you, this is what's crazy, and this is what we can pray for each other on. Do you realize we need to pray for all the temporal things we deal with because it's, it's dear and it's close to the heart of God? Aren't you thankful that, that God calls us to, to ask for our daily bread? He cares about your needs. But do you realize the greatest need of your life is not temporal answers. The greatest need of your life is a looking forward to the promises that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because in that reality, everything else fits. You keep going here and you see all these Titus too, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. James 5, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Abraham looked forward, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. And now I can live looking at life different. So this morning, Abraham's call, his faith, his obedience, two application questions, and we're done. Or two application challenges, and we're done. Number one, 
You can't live without looking forward. Are you looking forward this morning? Are you looking forward? Are you overwhelmed? Overwhelmed in whatever? Look to Jesus. Look to his promise. Look forward. Application two, you can't live as a citizen here. You know, I say it all the time. We all say it, and I can understand why we say it. People say, and we understand it the way we mean it. You know, I've I've put roots down in Scottsboro. I'm not looking to leave tomorrow. I'm not not filling out uh, preacher uh, applications online. Looking for a bigger city, a greater city, and a greater, a greater foundation. I'm not looking for that. I, I'm putting roots down here. And, and but let me ask you something. There's an element of that that's healthy, but there's an element of that that's not. Are you putting roots down here? And you've lost sight of what's to come? A lot of people, this is all they have. I told you about the house I rented in Portland. We loved it until we realized it was infested with fleas. Ugh. We put our notice in within 24 hours. It was disgusting. And let me tell you something. Because we knew we were leaving it, we lived drastically different than if we thought we would be there forever. What about your life? Are you living as if this is all there is? Are you living as if this is all that matters? Or do you have a perspective that Abraham had? because he looked to a greater city. He looked to a greater foundation. May we not forget that truth. Peter says, as I leave you this morning, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Then he goes on to say, keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the things in which they slander you, they may see your good works and glorify your Father on the day of their visitation. I'm going to read you that verse because I don't think I said it right. 1 Peter 2, 10, I cut it off too quick. It says, listen to this ending of that passage. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this morning, we look at Noah, we look at Abraham. By God's grace, let's look to what a life of faith is. Let's pray that we would learn and walk accordingly. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for uh, the privilege it is to, to pastor this church. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters and the Lord in this congregation and my friends. And Lord, I thank you for our guests today. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, I don't know the, the condition of people's hearts. Lord, uh, but I pray that, through the power of your spirit, that, uh, that everyone in here, as they leave today, that they would leave with a dependence and a trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. I pray that they would see that uh, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Lord, if we could earn our way to you by what we do, there would be no need for 
the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place. So, Lord, I pray today all of our dependence and all of our hope would be in you. I pray, Lord, from the youngest to the oldest in this room, that, God, I pray, oh, Lord, it's convicting. God, you know my own life and my own struggles. God, you know my own own challenges with this this passage, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that we would not... uh, we would, not, we would not lie to ourselves and not see the, the most basic applications in our lives. Oh God, I pray that we would see that you call us to live by faith. And Lord, that doesn't just mean in the big things. That means in those small areas that we often justify. But God, we thank you that you have a better way. And we thank you, Lord, that when we see it according to your design, we see the hope that's provided because of the new covenant in Jesus. Lord, I pray we would see that, that, that we have no ability, no capacity to live this way apart from the power and enablement of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us. You did not abandon us. But God, you've worked so kindly and graciously. And Lord, you, you call us to a better way. Lord, I pray all of our hope would be in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with